welcome to the Obscure Pastor Podcast. I'm Drew Carpenter, your host on the podcast for all kinds of ministers and other followers of Jesus who work in relative obscurity. My salvation lies in your love. Do we believe that? Can we trust it? Could we hold that as our mantra? Are you able to throw off the weight of this crazy stone, this world, and sink into Christ's love? It is a long road that we've been walking on. Are we getting anywhere? Are we on the right road? Do we even know if that's the point? Today, we're going to be exploring this path, this choice that Jesus lays out for us. And we'll be able to decide if we want to choose that narrow path and choose salvation that's found in his love. Well, my name is Andrew Carpenter. I'm one of the pastors here at Koinos Community Church. If you've been with us over the last couple of months, then you know we're going through this Sermon on the Mount, which is probably the most famous sermon ever preached by Jesus Christ. There's lots of other famous preachers out there right now, but he's pretty much the best and most famous, in my opinion. We've been looking at this passage for a couple of months. If you've been with us once or, or a dozen times, you'll, you know we've been kind of wait, working our way through this sermon. We're going to put the words up on the screen for you. We're just going to focus on three verses this week in Matthew chapter 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount because there's all these different things that he's teaching us to do. And it's the, the book of Matthew is where we find this particular sermon. There's another kind of similar thing in the book of Luke. But Matthew is really trying to communicate and, and convey what it is that Jesus has been trying to teach us. It says this, Jesus says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You might know this as the golden rule. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Kind of the older version of that. But you probably even like learned that in elementary school. But then he goes on and says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and it's easy. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So there's this little transitional word at the front end of that that says, so. Some translations will have, therefore. Some translations in English just ignore it altogether. But in the original languages, the first part of this, it's emphatic. So Jesus is saying, based on everything I've said so far, do this. That's what the so is there for. He's summing up what he said in chapter 5 and chapter 6. He's moved into chapter 7. He's summing up to this point saying, this is all the stuff that I've taught you. And in light of this, do this. There's these things in here that we've talked about over the past several weeks, and it's easy to catch up. If you haven't been here, you can just go back and look at 5, 6, and 7. But he talks about loving our enemies, not, not looking at other people as if they're objects, forgiving the way we want to be forgiven. All of these things that he holds dear are some things that like he takes out of the Hebrew Scripture and he translates it for us so we can do it and fulfill it in the way God originally intended it. So he says, whatever you wish others would do to you. How do you want to be treated? Think about that first. 
we so often mess this up because we kind of like make somebody else take a Myers-Briggs test or something and try to figure out who, what they're like and try to figure out how to best communicate with them when really Jesus is all about transforming us from the inside out. And if we start in here and do the things that he's trying to teach us, that'll help us as we relate to other people. Jesus may have been the original self-care guru. And I say that because he took time alone. He like apparently took naps. It's in it's in some of these history stories. And he, he got his amount of sleep that he needed. He had fun, he went to parties and weddings and had a good time. Also, he preached and walked all over the country, and I bet he got his steps in almost every day. So he knew how to take care of himself. He he's the smartest, wisest person to ever live. He understood his own personal human rhythms, and he knows how that translates to the rest of us. And he knows that he can show us how to have a life that's full and rich and meaningful. Think with me for just a minute. What is it that you need? I know a lot of the times this is difficult for us because we're always trying to think of what everybody else needs, especially if you're parents. You kind of go, what does everybody else want from me? And if you're a teenager, you might be like, what do people want from me too? And so we're always kind of looking at, at that angle of it. But think reflectively. And we're not going to be like doing this navel-gazing, kind of shoe-staring emo kind of thing here. But being thoughtful and reflective about who God is and what he's trying to do in our lives. When we reflect on how we want to be treated, this is self-care. So it's talking about needs, not selfish care, which is just simply talking about what we want. So think about this this for just a minute. When we reflect on how we want to be treated, we'll have a much better gauge for what others want. I think about the things that I need in my life. I, I need forgiveness pretty often. I screw up a lot. I think about my need for personal and emotional space. The fact that I need to be heard, that I want to be heard. And that's really difficult because maybe that's a want and maybe that's a need. But if it kind of resonates with you, then maybe it, maybe it is a need that we all need to be heard and understood. Also know that I need some grace for the mistakes I make. You know, when I send an email out with a misspelling or when I just say the wrong thing, I need some grace for that. We all need those types of things. We need people to, like, treat us kindly, too. So we know the stuff that we need. And when we do that, when we reflect on the things that we need, that makes us a lot more empathetic for other people. Because we might not know what they need, but we know deep down inside what we are craving. And we kind of get this deep sense of who we are and what we need. That makes us a lot more empathetic for our neighbors. There's so much to, to unpack in the Golden Rule. And if you've ever been to church before, you've probably heard a sermon about that a million times. But I want to move on to the next couple of verses. Verse 12 it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now Jesus is trying to bring some clarity to the situation for the folks that are listening. It's simple, but it's not easy. The question for the people listening to this sermon is this. What kind of life do you want? Jesus provides a clear-cut decision for us. There's only two ways to go. We could take, on the one hand, there's this narrow gate and this narrow road, and it's going to be difficult, but it's the way to life. And then on the other hand, there's this broad road, and it's easy, but it leads to destruction. 
Albus Dumbledore gets this. We're just going to go in with the Harry Potter Goblet of Fire here. He tells Harry in the Goblet of Fire, dark times lie ahead of us, and there'll be a time when we must choose between what is easy and what is right. Now, I am a total muggle in a wizard household, okay? I, you know, I had my sermon written out. I've, I read the first book, and then I watched all the movies. My kids and my wife have read every book. I think Carmen's been through it maybe two or three times. I, I had it written down as Aldous Dumbledore as opposed to Albus Dumbledore. So I'm the muggle in our wizard family. But I get this. This resonates, right? Several years ago, there was a band called The Fray. They also had a song that, was, that had a similar lyric in it. And it kind of came back to memory as I was thinking about this. They sang, sometimes the hard thing and the right thing are the same thing. The Fray and Dumbledore and Jesus get this. They understand that to have a fulfilling, to have a meaningful life, it's not going to be easy. It wasn't intended to be. Back in ancient times, there was a main gate around these cities. And then there'd be a smaller gate. And the cities that were larger, they'd have little small gates all over the place, too, in different areas. But when, when there, it was evening, or when they were under siege, or when they had to just decide they needed to close the gates up, I mean, it was a holiday or whatever, they would close up the gates, but there'd still be these little gates, and they'd close them up, too. And if you, if you got to that gate at night, like if you came upon the city at night, you'd have to go to one of those little gates and knock on the door. And maybe there was a guard and maybe there was a keeper that would open that gate for you, but maybe not. If they're like, I don't know you, they might not let you in. If you've ever seen The Fellowship of the Ring, the early ones, we're going to go just to all the old movies that I resonate with. If you ever saw The Fellowship of the Ring, the very first one in that series, the Lord of the Rings series, you find the hobbits have just kind of started out on their journey. And these ring wraiths are chasing after them. They cross the river, and you see the horse back in the background, and it's kind of scary and all that stuff. But they get across the river, and it's raining, and it's dark. And they get to, the, they get to the, their first real destination that they wanted to get to, and it's Bree. And it's raining, and it's dark, and the gates are closed. And so they knock on the little door next to the big gate. And the guy's like what are you doing here? And Frodo's like, that's my business. And he's like, okay, I'll let you in. And they ended up letting them in. They found that gate and they found safe passage, but it was a dark and treacherous journey. You can do a whole lot of sermons about that, that journey that they're on, but I'm just going to do this one today. They had this treacherous journey that they had been on, but they found that narrow gate in the dark and they were able to have safe passage and get a pint. So that was pretty cool too. If it's dark which it often is when we're struggling, when things are going not so well, whether that's a spiritual or emotional or mental struggle that we've got going on, it could be real difficult to find that gate and to find that narrow passage. Obviously, Jesus is using a metaphor, but he's trying to create some contrast for the choices that we get to make. In another telling of Jesus' story, in in John 10, which is another history of Jesus or a biography. It's a little different, has a different flavor than Matthew does. But Jesus says this. He says, he's the gate and he's the door. And he talks about his sheep. And so we could be a sheep. We, we follow him. We listen to his voice. He provides safe passage in and out. And that's what he's talking about here. He's trying to help us see that he is that gate. He is the, he is the path, but he's also leading us along that path. If we'll take the concerted effort to follow him and be an apprentice to him, to, 
to be discipled by him and everything that's entailed with that, then take a moment to reflect on these things we've, we've been learning over the last several weeks, going back and looking at five, six, and seven and saying, what's Jesus trying to say to me in here? He's laying it out an, an ethic for us to live by. But it takes rigor and it takes diligence. But he's with us each step of the way. When I was growing up, we would go on these crazy long car trips. We lived, when I was a young kid, we lived in Kansas City, which if you know your geography is pretty much in the middle of the country. And then we moved down south to Dallas, which is in the middle of the southern country. And so anytime we went on the road, like from Kansas City to Dallas, trust me, it's pretty boring and it's straight. But we would go, we'd take trips to Washington, D.C. We went to Washington, D.C. And for you guys, it's like, oh, that's three hours, no big deal. For us, it was two days and, yeah, crazy car rides. And we didn't have SUVs back when I was a kid. It was just like the Fairmont, you know. We went to D.C., took a big trip to D.C. One time we went to Chicago and back, Florida and back. And we'd see all these different things on the way. My grandparents lived just a few, just 70 miles away up in northern Missouri. My other grandparents lived in the Ozarks. Those were a little bit more narrow roads, but we kind of got used to them. And I had two sisters. And my big sister, God bless her, had to sit in the middle of me and my younger sister because we'd fight and stuff. But generally, I mean, we all remember things differently. I remember sitting in the back seat, probably behind my dad on the left side, and I'd just stare out the window. I couldn't read in the car. I still can. I get a little, like, motion sick. And even on an airplane, it's a a little dicey. I'd sit and I'd stare out the window, and I'd look at the landscape and the cows and whatever else was out there. But also, that was good me time, and I would just daydream. Think about being a baseball star or a rock star, and i just stare out the window and enjoy that time in the car when I wasn't terrorizing one of my two sisters. Today, I'm the dad, you know, and my kids are grown, obviously, so we don't do a lot of road trips. We, we recently went back to Oklahoma and, da- and Dallas over Christmas, and Claire's like, please don't ever make us do that ever again. I was like, oh, it was okay. It's like, oh, but it is, it's like 20-something hours. But we, done, we did some road trips when the kids were little, too. We were living in Austin. We took a road trip up, through, up to Bozeman, Montana. And it was a 4,000-mile circuit. We took two, I took two weeks off of work, and we did a, this 4,000-mile circuit. It was a blast. We saw, went to the Grand Canyon, Bryce Canyon. We went to Yellowstone Park and Bozeman. And then we saw Devil's Tower. Have you ever seen the Close Encounters of the Third Kind? We went to that place. It was kind of off the beaten path. It was awesome. We went there. And then we went to Mount Rushmore, which is, eh, you could pass on that because it's like, I don't know, you, you've seen the pictures, that's really all you need to do. You had to pay for parking. Anyways, <laughs> crazy. These national parks are great because you just buy your pass and you go, but they're like, they had a parking garage, it was just weird. And then we kind of came back down through the amazing Nebraska and Oklahoma back on home. We, did, we saw the ball of twine though, was that on that trip? I'm trying to remember, we saw the biggest ball of twine, that was pretty cool. But on these trips, I did the bulk of the driving. Carmen would help out at the time. Cole was getting his permit, and he drove just a little bit of it because it was like 80 miles an hour through, like, towards El Paso, and it's mountainous and crazy out there. And he was like, I'm done. But I, I still would drive on the road trips, and I like to drive because I still can't read in the car, and I get bored. And fortunately or unfortunately, I still daydream, and so I'm looking out. I may be looking out more of the front of the window, but I'm also kind of checking out the landscape and looking around, and I get a little lost in thought. 
there's a meme going around with the guy that he's loving all the road trips with his wife, but his wife's over there kind of sleeping. And that, that's a little bit true of us, but usually it's just she's reading a book and stuff. And, but I would just think through, just think through what's going on in my life. And again, maybe fantasize about being a rock star a little bit. But I'd, be, I'd look off into the distance and see stuff. And it's really fortunate that they've put these rumble strips on the side of the road now. Because I'll hit those every now and then. Or, or Carmen will go, eyes on the road. Or my kids are like, Dad! Or stuff like that. Because the broad road can be dangerous. But we get distracted. There's dangerous things out there. We get going too fast. And there's lots of traffic. There's lots of people on that broad road. But the narrow road is different. You know, the narrow road is, is usually smaller. Plenty of distractions along there. But from my experience, Jesus keeps this perfect pace. On the narrow road, if we find that and we follow Jesus on that, we may not be able to take our SUV and load up the cooler and go on that path. We may just be able to take the essentials with us. But that's okay. You can't get through that gate with a bunch of junk on your back. You, don't, you can't get through that narrow path with, with, in an SUV because it's like, it might be steep on that one side, and you might just have to do one of these things sliding through so you don't get to carry a lot of stuff with you. But from my experience, he does keep a, he, he keeps a good pace. He's just maybe a little bit out in front of us, and it's a gentle pace. Jesus, as he interacts with people in Scripture, if you're not familiar with this, it, it's true, and we, you can look in, in the passages that we, we look at. He's really gentle with people that may have not had people be gentle with them before. So women, poor people, people that they would considered second-class citizens back then, he was just kind and patient and gentle with them. He wasn't so much so like that with people like me, like religious leaders, unless we were humble like he was and try to live the way that he was teaching them to live. And you think about his interactions with his disciples. His disciples could be a bunch of knuckleheads. They were, just, they were trying their best to do the things that Jesus was teaching them to do, but a lot of times he had to explain himself over again or recast the vision and he, he, he treats us similarly. He understands that we're not going to necessarily get it the first time and that we need some help on the road. So he's patient. He's, in, he's encouraging. I often try to picture myself in these stories that he tells. I kind of put myself in the place of some of the people he interacts with so that I can have that same paradigm shift, so I can experience the relational aspect of what he's trying to convey as it's occurring. Those things help me. And thanks to this gentle pace of Jesus, I see the world a lot differently now than I did 20 or 30 years ago. I took for granted my beliefs. I grew up in a Christian home, and things were handed down to me. This, this is the way these things are. And some of that's good, and some of that's not so good. I had questions, and I was kind of not, not so sure I could ask those questions and still be a part of whatever was going on in, those, in the church life that I was involved with. Some of the foundations for my Christian upbringing and my education were helpful at the time, but a lot of them weren't. And I think about it now, and I could be a real hypocrite. I still am. I'm often concerned with being right. You can ask my family about that. But as I look more closely at Jesus' teaching, and I saw um, things and I read things from people that had other views 
they kind of had a different brand of Christianity than I had, I realized that, that Jesus wasn't angry with me. He was just being patient. He was waiting for me to kind of come along and discover that more narrow path. I had to let go of some of the self-righteous things I was carrying. Now, there's a pastor named Eugene Peterson, and he wrote, he translated the Bible, and the translation is called The Message. And he, when he gets to this passage, it's more vernacular. It's kind of more of a modern-day translation. He says, the market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous, and it requires total attention. He is right. Some examples of the flooded marketplace include influencers, people that you and I all know, whether it's Oprah or the Kardashians. Jack Dorsey of Twitter, he's got like an 11-point thing that people follow, and it's a little, little bizarre and weird, and I'm not sure I would do that, although there's some good stuff in there. And we mustn't, mustn't forget Gwyneth Paltrow and her goop. Honestly, one of my favorites is a guy named Tim Ferriss, and he has this thing called, he, he wrote a book called The 4-Hour Work Week, which I still haven't figured out because I can't make a lot of money and then just take the rest of the time off. I haven't figured that out yet. But he's got this thing called the 5-Bullet Friday email, and the, so there's some really good stuff in there, some really things that are, that are helpful. And we find that in a lot of this stuff is that there's some helpful things, there's some things that can make your life a little better, there's some things in there that oftentimes are kind of bizarre, and ultra-expensive roads to awesomeness that I just am not going to do. But we have a better mentor to follow. The reason many, so many of us don't follow Jesus closely is because he doesn't seem as accessible as some of the people I just mentioned. I'm sure somebody came up with some kind of Instagram account that's Jesus Christ, and it's probably cheesy as all get out. There are some cool Twitter parody accounts that purport to be Jesus, but that's not what we're talking about here, and that's not really all that helpful for this. And it's not really like he's as accessible just because some person decided that they think they know what Jesus was saying, although that's kind of what we're doing here today. But we do have a better mentor to follow. This has been the dilemma for thousands of years. What is it like to have a good life? Who has the good life? And what makes a good life possible? So often we look outside, we look to influencers, people that are, that we don't know but seem to be doing it right, we look to them to see what we might do. And then Jesus is like, no, there's, just, there's two roads, and I'm going to give you the, here's the right one, and this other one's not any good. There's only two options available that lead to that good life. Now, we can allow his influence to infuse our lives and to lo- learn to live out the practices that he outlines in this sermon. We can go our own way and find that broad road that many are already taken. Here's another question. Is the broad road really destructive? See, the Jenners and Oprahs of the world seem to be doing okay. They're thriving. But are they really? They're still pursuing the next thing. They're still trying to make their lives more and more successful, kind of like the rest of us. They just do it in front of a wider audience, and they have a lot more money at their disposal to pursue those things. But they have relationship trouble. If they're honest... They'd tell you that their lives are not perfect. They struggle with inadequacies and fears and trust issues just like the rest of us. Now, Oprah, Oprah has some staying power, okay? I have to admit it. She's been around since I was pretty young. But you think about people that we 
that we've followed that may have influenced us 5, 10, or 15 years ago, and a lot of them have faded, and they're just kind of living normal, regular lives like the rest of us in obscurity. Maybe that's because they stayed on that broad path, or maybe it's because they chose a more narrow one. I want you guys to think about the child actors that you grew up with. And we all kind of, because we're in different ages and stages, we all had these people that were like, oh, that person was really cool. And then you, they've kind of went to college or something, and you're, they're, they're a doctor. And so they kind of faded back. But I think about guys like Jim Carrey. And Jim Carrey, I remember seeing him on a talk show years ago. And he's talking about during his struggling days, he daydreamed of success and he imagined himself entertaining the world. So in 1985, he wrote himself a check for $10 million for acting services rendered. And then he dated it 10 years into the future and he kept it in his wallet. He had a preferred vision for where he wanted his life to be. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it depends on what that preferred vision is. I don't know if he actually wrote that check 10 years prior, but I saw him on this talk show bring that check out. And I was just inspired by that because he had done this thing to inspire himself and help him find the path that he thought was the correct one. At the time, you couldn't go anywhere. This is the mid-90s, and he was all over the place. All the talk shows, he was in movies, felt like every other week. But in time, he faded too. He's had a bit of resurgence, and if you've seen him, though, recently, he's in a really different space. He was on the broad road, and I think he would tell you that that broad road didn't lead him to, it may have been success, but it wasn't fulfillment. The broad road is never where salvation lies. According to Jesus, the narrow road is the way of salvation. It's the one where you quit looking for alternative options to the good life. Haven't we tried enough of those? It's pretty easy to follow our old thought patterns and habits, because we've kind of burned all these synapses across our brains, and so we think we can fix it, we think we can do it. Well, maybe if I just try this, or maybe if I go to this and kind of pull that into my life and enhance my life, I can make it better. But all those things that we do just tends, tend to kind of pile up and weight us down. We can do a reset. Jesus calls us to repentance. It's a turning away from and a turning to something else. So oftentimes what happens is we repent and then we turn to some other thing. And what Jesus wants us to do is turn to him. In the song that Claire sang earlier, it's by a guy named Alexi Murdoch. And if you don't know him, look him up. He's pretty awesome. He wrote the, the crazy stone, casting off this crazy stone. And Jesus wants us to do that. He wants us to cast off this crazy stone, this weight of the world and all of its burdens. We're not going to make it through that gate if we're carrying around all this baggage. If we're lugging our emotional, mental, um, control freak stuff through that gate, it's not going to happen. I insert control freak there. You might have some other neurosis that you want to get rid of. I kind of hold it near, but not so dear. But we have to get rid of that stuff if we're going to make it through that gate. We have to give that to, to Jesus. If we're burdened with all that we miss the opportunity for self-reflection and the life we're meant for. Now, in another place, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, there's still work involved. If you think of a yoke, an oxen, there's still some work involved. 
But the way he burdens us is a lot different than the way the world burdens us. He knows that all that other stuff we get, that stuff we get distracted with and try to cram into our lives is simply going to weigh us down. He wants to save us from those and save us from ourselves. Where might we start on this road? How can we begin to find that narrow way? I'm just going to give us one example for how this plays out, although there are many. We can look back a little bit in this, in this sermon that he's been preaching. I think it's in chapter 5, and we'll have the words up here in a second. He says, And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So simple speech. So let's start right there by not justifying our behavior with our words when we do the right thing or the wrong thing. This might include just being gracious when somebody pays you a compliment and just saying thank you instead of shrugging it off or go, well, I could have done this better or that better or whatever. Simple speech. When you mess up like I do, just own it instead of making excuses. Please forgive me. Seems like it's easy to say, but it's not really. It's a simple phrase, but it's hard to say. But if you'll do that, you'll save yourself a lot of stress and the people that are around you. Because it has some real world applications for us. It's not, it's not often that somebody strikes me across the right cheek and I have to show them my left. It's been at least 30 years since I've been in a fist fight, and that's another story for another day. But every day, we have an opportunity to use our words to justify our actions. Whether it's on our social media platforms or face-to-face or with our kids or with our parents. Every day we find ways to justify our behavior with words. Jesus knows that we can find rest along that path if we'll quit over-explaining ourselves and let a simple action or word speak for itself. Now, each one of Jesus' teachings can be explored further and contemplated and put into practice in our context. I implore you to spend some time with those passages and think through them so that you can discover a path of clarity and so that you can find insight from somebody that brings wisdom and salvation. We need saving. We need saving from our negative thoughts, from our bad habits, from our self-righteous indignation or our insecurities. We need salvation from maybe some unhealthy relationships in our lives. All those things can weigh us down and keep us off the narrow path. Choose the harder way and you'll be walking through that narrow gate and following Jesus on a much better path, the one that leads to life. The choice is simple, but it's hard. Get off the broad road and follow the narrow way to Jesus' salvation, home in his love. You've been listening to the Obscure Pastor Podcast. If you like the podcast, share it with a friend. Subscribe today and sign up at ObscurePastor.com for my brief weekly e-letter. 
It's a dose of encouragement and inspiration. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drew Carpenter. So let's be friends.